podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just a quick note before we get started here. Unfortunately, uh, there were some technical issues again here. Uh, the timing of both mine and then Scott Chasen's uh, audio was off. So there are so- several times where he starts talking before I actually finish. Um, not really sure exactly what's going on, but I am looking at trying to figure out. I apologize for the technical issues a second episode in a row, but um, I am looking to kind of change some things up to try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me, and I'll get you guys right to the episode. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are doing our, just a little bit late, but doing our recap episode um, of the Oklahoma game for the KUJ Hawks. And I, you, you guys couldn't see me, but I put uh, air quotes around the, uh, the recap because I'm going to be completely honest. We're not going to be talking a whole lot about the actual game itself other than what it kind of tells us more at the big picture um, because I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little puzzled at some of the reaction that I saw around Twitter uh, kind of surrounding this. Some of it, which was uh, directed at the person that I have here coming out of the podcast, he is uh, Scott Chasen. We've had him on the podcast several times before, obviously, but uh, uh, he is joining us now to kind of talk a little bit about this team. Um, but uh, Scott, I'm sorry, Scott is from, from Fog.net. Um, I'm sure most of you guys that are listening to this are already following me. And if you're not, then why not? But anyway, Scott, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. And, and just to be clear, when you say directed at me, no one is mad at me. Uh, I'm not. No, 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 no. For right. the product on the but field. the comments, <laughs> right. The comments were directed at some of the, the recaps and some of the like takeaways that you had posted on yes. Twitter. Yes. One of which came from my colleague over here at Rock Chalk Talk, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go ahead and name him by name. He can definitely identify himself as a response to this if he really wants to. But, um, you know, he was just one of several people, I think, that had similar sort of sentiments. So it's not it's not something that's unique to him, um, but kind of just the general thought about how bad this coaching staff might be or must must be. And I've actually gotten some questions from people when I've been doing like recaps. Or, I'm sorry, of uh, previews. Uh, you know, of the games that have been, got, kind of been coming up. It's like, you know, is Les Miles on the hot seat? You know, are you worried about Les Miles' job? Does he seem to be checked out? Like, you know, are any worries about Brent, Brent Deerman this year? And, you know, I mean, I, I want to, first of all, just kind of debunk all of that. I, I haven't seen any evidence, and I'm sure you have kind of more firsthand evidence than I do, having been in, like, the, the press conferences and things, that, like, it doesn't seem like this, this coaching staff is is checked out at all. They, they seem to be extremely frustrated with where things are, but it also, you know, seems like they, they know probably about as well as most people that are really following the program know that, um, you know, it seems like the vast majority of the offensive problems that we have really have to do with the fact that the offensive line is having an extremely bad season, like historically bad yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's where we're going to start because, you know, I think you pointed out as, long, as well as several other people, you know, Jalen – uh, Jalen Daniels was sacked nine times against Oklahoma, um, which was absolutely atrocious for him. He got hit all over the place. And, you know, it was so bad even that when they were trying to block um, later in the game on a play for the Jayhawks that the offensive lineman, I think it was an offensive lineman that was blocking, ended up blocking his, his defender out of bounds right into Jalen Daniels sitting on the bench. So he took a bunch of hits. Um, it was obviously not a very good game for that offensive line trying to keep him upright. Um, but I mean, is, is it really that simple that does it really just come down to the fact that this offensive line is so bad that it's not allowing anything on this offense to get going? Well, I, I divide it into two categories and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just come out hot and, and be the most hated man in, in America for this take. But look, you, you got to remember 
most most of this is on the offensive line. Let, like, let's be very clear about that. This is probably the worst offensive line in the history of Big 12 football. That's not a hot take or a, an overreaction. I mean, uh, your left tackle is a guard who is really good at guard, not very good at tackle. Uh, your right tackle's been okay at times. He's a converted tight end. He had probably the worst game of his career against Oklahoma. The backup right tackle is a former guard. He isn't very good. Uh, the center's had problems. The left guard has had problems. So you feel maybe good about your right guard, and, and that's about it. And Oh, by the way, he was injured last game. But you, you also have to remember the quarterback situation. Jalen Daniels just turned 18 years old. Jalen Daniels didn't have a spring. Jalen Daniels didn't have a summer. Jalen Daniels wasn't getting first-team reps in fall camp. Jalen Daniels was a third-team true freshman quarterback who basically got on campus in June but wasn't able to do anything until August, wasn't working with the first team, who then takes over after an injury to the, the quarterback the team that the, the program felt best about. And Jalen Daniels has been injured and forced to leave three games early. Jalen Daniels has been banged up. Jalen Daniels admitted he himself has been timid and lacked confidence to throw. Uh, and if you watch the games and you go back and watch replays, you'll see there are receivers usually open uh, or throws to be made. And, you know, examples I give are, you know, a bubble screen and people roll their eyes and they hate bubble screens because apparently there's just no offensive play that will please anyone nowadays. Uh, that isn't like an 80 yard touchdown throw. But it's one of those plays where if Jalen Daniels just throws an accurate ball to the sideline, Andrew Parchment catches it. He's got 10 yards, but he'll throw it five yards behind him. And Parchman has to come back and get it, and now the whole play is blown up because the quarterback couldn't make a throw to the sideline. You know, he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass this year. He has a couple, a few rushing touchdowns, which is terrific. Again, he's very young, and I, I think there's a lot of promise for him. There's He has a ton of upside. He has the physical tools, all that. But you combine, you know, a terrible offensive line with a quarterback who has not been given the chance to get well-versed in an offense, who is very, very young, who didn't have a spring, and yeah, that's why the offense looks like this. So just for me personally, and this is not in response to any one person or anything, uh, I think it's it's premature and, and probably a little foolish to, to start looking at coaching because, I mean, last year everyone wanted to run DJ Elliott out of town, and now all these young guys are standing out on defense, and defense has actually played pretty well in some games. So, like, it's just one of those things where I think that people, people have a, a short memory, and I understand frustration. Very easy to be frustrated with this team if you're a lifelong KU football fan. But uh, no, the, the answer to me is not, you know, change coaches again, especially when you consider, you know, last year Kansas put up 48 on Boston College using Brent Deerman's playbook, 48 against Texas, 37 against Texas Tech, 31 against Iowa State. Like, you, you can't forget about those performances from last year. That was the same team that put up seven on Coastal Carolina running the less miles, we're going to run it up the middle 50 times a game approach. So I, I think it's a little, um, uh, like I said, it, it's a little misguided to start looking at the coaching. I'm not 100% convinced Brent Dearman is the perfect guy, uh, but I am convinced he's a pretty good coach and that this season should not be held against him or any coach. Uh, I don't think Emmett Jones, I think you could even give Luke Meadows a pass because uh, they really don't have much to work with. Um, and you saw when they put true freshmen in at the end of the game, to block for Jalen Daniels, it almost got him injured. So, you know, it's not as simple as, we'll just put all the young guys in, and then it'll work out. No, young guys need time to develop on a line. So that's that's the big picture problem that Kansas is facing right now. Probably the longest answer I've ever given on a podcast. 
And yet we probably could stop right there and have this be the shortest episode of the podcast I've ever done. And it would, I mean, I don't know that we have to, we have to say anymore, but I do want to kind of dive a little bit in because looking at the offensive line, I mean, you outlined some of the problems, but like coming into the year, we knew that this was going to be the unit that was going to need the most help, right? Because they were losing left tackle Akeem Adenogy, who, you know, NFL talent, like <laughs> you don't get a lot of those at Kansas to be honest, especially on the line. But, you know, he's he's on the Cincinnati Bengals roster. He's actually playing for them yeah. off and on. I mean, and so, like, he is – he was definitely a really good talent for them. You lose him. The expectation was that Antoine Frazier was going to step in and be the starting left tackle. Or if not, if not, you know, shoe in at the starting left tackle, he was at least going to be one of the guys that was going to anchor that, mm-hmm. that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides to transfer, like, three days before – they like the the first game if i remember correctly like it was really soon before the first game um oh i'm sorry it was three days before the originally scheduled first game um but you know i mean it was just it was one of those weird things where like one of the guys who was expected to be a senior leader on this team just all of a sudden was gone and they didn't have anybody to fill in like you said malik clark had to move from his guard position out to be the left tackle because he was the most experienced lineman and he struggled and and that's to be expected because you know, it's not nearly as hard to go from a tackle to a guard position as to go from guard to tackle. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that is that is a really difficult thing. You know, like I, it was it was hard for me because I did it when I was in junior high and it was really hard for me in junior high. And I can imagine that, you know, the athletes there weren't anywhere near as physically <laughs> gifted as they're, they're dealing with in college. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's really hard to do that. You know, then you look at the rest of the offensive line. They've been dealing with with injuries all year long. So they've had to bring in the really young guys. They haven't had an opportunity to really kind of build that camaraderie that you need to really gel as a, as a unit. You know, Oppie Main, um, you know, at the center position. Yeah, he's been their center for – he started at center, I think, for four of the seven games so far. He's only played in five because he was injured in two of them. Like, they've been dealing with injuries all over the place. They have not had any consistency, you know, and – I mean, we've seen Jalen Daniels have some decent games, you know, against Iowa State. He had a, a decent game at times. Like he was able to, to show flashes here and there. They are able to do some things. We've seen progress. I think the biggest thing that really kind of came here was something that we all expected coming into this game against Oklahoma. Oklahoma completely destroyed them because we knew that Oklahoma's defensive line was pretty good. Um, you know, and the rest of their defense is definitely improving compared to what we've seen in the last few years. And, you know, Kansas's offensive line has all of these issues is going to allow them to do that. And, and the Oklahoma offense is absolutely killer right now. They've, they've ironed out their own offensive line issues. And, you know, as, much, as many strides as Kansas' defense has made, like, there was no way that they were going to stop yes. this Oklahoma offense at all well, whatsoever. And, and so anybody who expected this game to be competitive for even five minutes was severely misguided. And, you know, like Oklahoma is probably the most talented team overall that Kansas has faced this year. And we saw it. Yeah. Well, and let me just add a couple of things on that one. It was a bad time to play Oklahoma. They just got guys back from suspension and they were playing pissed off. I think Spencer Rattler said after the last game, you know, they just wanted to go out and embarrass somebody and they did it against tech. They did it against Kansas, but let's also, you know, I I just want to circle back to the Jalen Daniels thing. Uh, Jalen Daniels at times has shown flashes that have been good. However, I would classify every game he's played so far as bad to terrible. Some games terrible, other games just bad. Now, that's not to say he can't be good, but Kansas hasn't scored more than two offensive touchdowns in a game this year, and that's keeping in mind that at times their defense is, you know, getting gashed and and keeps going out there, so the offense ends up getting a ton of chances. Uh, And I would also add to that, he hasn't thrown a passing touchdown yet, 
Uh, he has a bunch of interceptions. He should have way more. He's been the beneficiary of some drops. Uh, and some of those touchdown drives he's led, you know, the Jayhawks have failed to convert on a third down and been bailed out by a roughing the passer like against Baylor. So, again, I think he'll be good. I actually like Jalen Daniels. I think he's a very talented guy. I think he's got the right temperament for it. I think he's very smart, and I think he's a, uh, just a great leader. But uh, And he's got a good arm. He's got, obviously, physical tools, too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I again, I wouldn't— But he's young. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't undersell how hard it is for a guy who was 17, now 18, to not have a spring and not really even have a summer or a full camp because he was the third-string quarterback um, in, in that affecting them. And then just cleaning up in the offensive line, too— I mean, you kind of touched on it, but you lose all 12 starts at left tackle and all 12 starts at right tackle and most of your starts at center. And the guys you replace them with, Antoine Frazier, I think they wanted to be probably right tackle, maybe as in a, you know, if they had to move him to left tackle, they would have put him there. And you know what? I, I would just say, I don't think we have all the details on that situation. My understanding of the situation is he opted out of the season and then entered the transfer portal. And when Les Miles was asked about that, he gave a very odd answer that kind of made me question, you know, I, I believe he opted out of the season. I'm not sure whose decision it was for him to go into the transfer portal. I definitely believe he opted out of the season, though. But so you're down one guy. You have another tackle who has surgery before the season reportedly uh, and, and might be out. And then you have a, a guy who's injured in Bryce Cabell, who, according to Les Miles. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're down a couple guys. And when the other guys don't start panning out, it's not like you have someone to go to. So... Yeah, I expected it to be right. like this against Oklahoma. They were down their best linemen. You know, the game before against Iowa State, I actually thought they showed some progress on the O-line, and that was without Api Mane, and uh, they were without, I believe, Adagio Lopetti, too. So they were actually down a couple guys, and I thought the right. line was okay. So I, I think the line's improving, but, you know, again, you play Oklahoma, what do you think's going to happen? You know, I, I picked Oklahoma to cover 38. And I think I don't remember what my score prediction was, but I had Oklahoma, I think, in the 60s or high 50s. Like that was always the way that game was going to go. And I don't understand. Maybe I get the frustration. Don't get me wrong. I get the frustration. I don't understand the shock after that game. That was always how that game was going to go. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I don't I don't agree or I should say I don't know why there would be any shock about that just given what Oklahoma's doing that they're rounding into form you know you've seen them consistently get better or I mean like I think the only people that would be shocked by this are the people that are so tuned out to college football in general because of how bad Kansas is that they had no idea that you know Oklahoma was rounding into form they looked at Oklahoma's record and said oh well this is a down year for Oklahoma you know like that's like the only I think the only reasonable excuse for being surprised about what happened and had just how bad Oklahoma beat the pants off the Jayhawks was that you saw that they had already lost two games. They'd already lost to Kansas state and Iowa state and thought that this was a down year for them. And, and that, I mean, yeah, it, it is a down year comparatively, but it's not continued to be a down year, especially after, you know, they've kind of shored up their offensive line with Brooks who, who became available, like all of this additional stuff. And so, you know, the, the nice thing for the Jayhawks, obviously, is that they have the bye week to try to regroup and try to see what they can do in those final three games to, to show any kind of improvement. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's also kind of one of those things, like, we knew that this was going to be a weird year because of COVID, that a lot of people were going to have problems. We've seen more and more guys opt out. You know, Drew Proctor yep. opted out most recently. Um, Puka opted out. Like, you're losing a bunch of weapons on both the offense and defense. You expected both of those units to take a step back. Um, but that you're like you said, as the 
as the freshmen and sophomores have been got, have been getting a lot more time, we're starting to see flashes out of players. Like we're seeing building blocks now that the coaches could put together to potentially be a better team next year if they can continue that development of those guys and they can, you know, and some of these guys that they're bringing in in this recruiting class can go ahead and pan yeah. out for them. And I mean, that's really what it's going to take at this point, um, which is obviously going to require the coaching staff to do what they need to do. Uh, I want to go ahead and turn to them, but before we do that, I am going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. All right, so we've kind of talked about the big elephant in the room, which was the offensive line and kind of what's happening with that offense and Jalen Daniels specifically. But the, I think the biggest criticism that really kind of threw me for a loop, um, and, and again, you know, individual over at Rock Chalk Talk, one of my colleagues, I'm sure a lot of people listen to this know who I'm talking about, but he wasn't alone in this criticism. So again, I don't want to single him out. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of wondering what's going on with Brent Dearman um, and, and, and DJ Elliott, you know, and, and honestly kind of trying, again, trying to look at this objectively. Just two weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, how, how good DJ Elliott had done with these guys, how much development we've seen so far with the young guys. You know, I'm thinking Karan Prunty has come on strong. Um, Kenny Logan Jr., who, you know, shout out to you for, for identifying him in our preseason episode as a guy that you thought was going to go ahead and break out. And he really has in a big way these last few weeks. Um, and, you know, I mean, we've seen, you know, even guys like, like Gavin Potter have come up big. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the, the you know, a, a, a couple linebackers, but Dejon Terry has come up big on, on the defensive line. Like we've had a lot of defensive guys that have really taken some strides yeah. recently. Um, not surprising that they're going to go ahead and take a step back. Oh, that, you know, th- that was two, two additional people that we didn't have uh, against Oklahoma on the defensive line. DeJon Terry was not available for that game. Um, so, like, I mean, we've seen kind of key um, guys out at, like, random times, either because of COVID or other things that are going on. Like, that do not dress list looks <laughs> like a battlefield every single week. It's just absolutely ridiculous how many different guys are showing up on there um, every single week. And – you know, but I mean, looking at what the coaches have done, you know, are you are you at all concerned about anything the coaches have done? Or are you like me in there where you look at what they're doing and it's either an incomplete because of how bad the offensive line has been? Or it actually looks like they're doing a pretty good job considering how many young guys. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I feel for the situation Brent Dearman is in on the offensive staff. And I get some people have said, you know, why not try this or try Wildcat or try and, I, you know, just my personal opinion, I, I don't think you do that. I, I think you're trying to install uh, or, in, yeah, install a system and, and instill a culture where you're doing things the way that you believe you'll eventually win doing them that way. And I don't remember who, but someone tweeted me that they should do more plays that don't involve pass blocking from the left tackle and right tackle. And I just thought to myself that that's, that's just <laughs> not the answer. The answer is not you know, just abandon, you know, what you think you're going to be good at, especially because this is a free year, right? And, you know, Jalen Daniels gets all these snaps knowing that he's still going to be a freshman. They could redshirt him next year and he'd still be a freshman two years from now yeah. if they felt like that was the thing to do. So it's, it's just important to remember this is a free year. They're install, instilling the culture. And, you know, look, I, I look at the defense and the guy standing out, two guys missing. You mentioned him from the last game. Dejon Terry and Marcus Harris, those guys are legitimate. Those guys, they grade out when I do grades, when I when I review film, those guys grade out really well. Kenny Logan and Karan Prunty in the secondary could play for any – they could start for any Big 12 team, probably most, if not 90% of the teams in the country. Okay, Karan Prunty 
is going to be an NFL cornerback if he even takes the smallest steps forward as a sophomore, junior, and maybe senior. So they've got some talent. Here's the problem. The problem is I just named four guys who are really, really good and I feel confident are really, really good. You can add Stephen Parker to that. I think he's very, very good. And even Drew Proxer. So that's six. Okay. Now what about the other five spots? And then what about the depth when some of those guys aren't there? And I think that's what the problem is now. And that's what they're trying to build up with the roster. You know, I I think about how close Kansas was against Iowa State that you don't get a trophy for this. But it was a 16-point game in the fourth quarter, and they had the ball driving to cut it to a one-score game. Okay, you don't no, no one's giving you a trophy. You don't get any prizes. You don't get half a win. You don't get a quarter of a win for that. But in a year when you're completely rebuilding, and this is supposed to be Iowa State's college football playoff year, like, that is potentially, they're obviously not going to make it, but uh, that is... Like, that's a sign of progress. That's a, and, and that was a game that they didn't have. I think they were missing two linebackers, two offensive linemen, three of their top five wide receivers, and a safety. Like, that was the do-not-dress list for that game. They're missing a third of their starters, and they're within two scores driving right. down one score in the fourth quarter of that game, midway through the fourth quarter. Now, yes, the final score didn't look pretty. Iowa State certainly ran it up there at the end, throwing up, you know, I think, like, up 23 in the final minutes, still throwing, but you know, whatever, that's their right to do so and make it look as, as pretty as they can make it look. I, I just look at, at the number of guys standing out on both sides of the ball, and my honest opinion is if Kansas brings in two recruiting classes like their first two, if their next two are as good as their first two, they'll have a bowl-caliber roster uh, when, I guess that would be 2022, 2023 rolls around. Like, they'll, they'll have a bowl-caliber roster. They will be going bowling in, like, 2023 if they can continue to recruit. Now, the question is, do high school players start looking at what's happening and say, eh, you know what? I don't want to go there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I like less miles, but I don't believe in it. Um, believe in what they're doing so far, not happening. They have a few decommits, but this class is still a very, very good class in 2021. It, it's on pace to be one of their. And not only that, but like where they're getting decommits are areas where, I mean, like, yeah, you don't want to lose the highest rated yeah. recruit that you've ever had. They still have that. Um, but they lost one like, of the highest rated recruits. Oh, yes, had, right. And the other guy is still the highest. And still have the other one. <laughs> but but it's also like the other areas where they're losing. Like they lost one offensive lineman who, you know, I, I'm not even sure exactly what the details were there. But, it, I mean, it seemed like it wasn't it wasn't one of the main guys that they had been focusing on. It was one of the additional guys that, you know, you like to have for depth. But there, there were some questions from what I understand about whether he would have been able to work himself into a starting lineup or even be like in the second team um you know so he's like one of those like you know depth guys that you love to have that are help with develop developing the overall program but if you don't have him you you should be able to find another guy in kind of the similar the similar kind of area to have there and then the other guy that they lost out on was was that it was a wide receiver who you know they've got tons of young wide receivers already and they already have you know like three or four other wide receivers in the class as well so you know, if that's all they end up losing, it doesn't really set them back too much. And they still have room to add more guys. You know, what I would really be worried about is if they lose, you know, three or four of the offensive line recruits that they have coming in. Like, that's where I would start to get worried. Or if they start losing all of a, of a one single position group, because then that means that something else is going on. Um, but, you know, like, um, back, back to your point where, where one of the suggestions was, well, let's just not run plays where you don't have to pass protect from either tackle position. That that's like hardly that basically means that you're not passing the ball um, because there's really no way to design a play, a passing play 
that doesn't require either your left tackle or right tackle to pass protect. Um, I, I just, I am having a, I'm struggling to come up with anything that doesn't require that, unless it's like an immediate, like half a second, you know, drop where you throw to somebody immediately after the ball snapped. Um, and that just isn't, you know, anything you can do, but like, it, it also kind of talks about like the, what you need to get this offensive line playing better is time for them to develop. They need in-game situations. They need in-game reps that they can use to look at what, you know, people that aren't on their team, you know, is bringing and develop that and kind of understand what's going on, you know, and like you can do so much in film study, you can do so much in practice, but there is, there is definitely something to say about having in-game reps that allow you to develop and allow you to actually learn what it is you need to be doing. And if we, if we don't put them in those situations where we're going to be counting on them in the, you know, in the the situation that you want to try to run, they're never going to get that in-game experience. They're never going to develop the way you need them to. And you're constantly going to be hamstrung by the fact that you didn't develop guys. And then, like, then the legitimate criticism is going to be that you didn't develop an offensive line. Not that you have a whole bunch of young offensive linemen that still need to develop. It's that, well, now they're all going to be juniors and seniors, and you still can't rely on them because they didn't get that development that they needed when they were young guys. And it, it completely sucks. Like, this is a conversation I think that you and I were having on Twitter with, with a few people. It's like, yes, you've got to have some kind of base level of competence on offensive line, but you also have to give the guys that are struggling some time to develop, especially if you don't have anybody. Um, it kind of leads me to my next question, because one of the things that was suggested was, well, why don't we go to, like, the junior college ranks and get a few experienced offensive linemen? And like, I have my own thoughts on that, but do you think that that's a viable option for them in these next couple of recruiting classes is bring in a few experienced offensive linemen to try to see if that can like bridge the gap and get them to where they need to be? Or do you think it, they just need to go full steam ahead with, you know, these young guys, it's going to be obviously very painful the rest of this year while they develop. But ideally I would think that when we get into next spring and then going into next season, that they'll have quite a bit more development at that point, And then we can kind of rely on these guys instead of jumping on the junior yeah, college. Look, I mean, someone asked me on our site, you know, why didn't Kansas just go get a Juco tackle? Well, first of all, they didn't know totally what the situation was going to be. Second of all, let's not again, forget they didn't have a spring. And what I've been told, and this is not just by KU people, this is by former players. This is by players who play the positions who are not at Kansas. Uh, the offensive line needs the spring more than just about any other position especially for guys mm-hmm. who change position. So, again, you know, the fact that they didn't have that spring, you, you're seeing it now. Like, they're, they're not going to – people are treating this team like it was just a normal year and they had a spring and all of that, and guys aren't working out. That's very much not the case of what happened here. And, and in many cases, again, they didn't even have a summer because they were on campus, but they were extremely limited in what they could do, and I don't even think they were allowed to work with coaches until, like, August or maybe the last week of July at the earliest – but no, someone asked me, why not just take one Juco tackle and, and take someone? And I, I said, look, you know, if you want to start taking a couple Juco positions, start taking players off the, the high school rankings and, and off the high school class. And Jalen Daniels was pretty low ranked in that high school class. He was, a, you know, a signing day flip to the Jayhawks. If you want to take him off the list, you can go get a Juco tackle. Or, you know, you want to take a guy that you got late in the cycle, like a Bryce Cabaldu or a Jackson Satterwhite or whoever that you might feel good about. You want to take them off the list because you really thought you needed a Juco guy? Like, what what, what Les Miles is doing now, I remember distinctly going into, like, David Beatty's third season where people just said, why won't he just bite the bullet and rebuild with high school talent? No, it's going to look rough. 
Why won't he just do it? And you know what? That's why Les Miles, in my opinion, was the perfect hire in terms of approach and philosophy for Kansas because he has credibility. You don't have to worry that recruits aren't going to come play for Les Miles because of a losing season because he has a national championship ring. And two, he's not he doesn't have to fear for his job security. He's not on a hot seat. Jeff Long is bought into this approach just like he has. There is no fear of, oh, no, I might lose. I better go get 10 Juco guys to, to do that. There's none of that. It, it's just build with high school talent, build the right way. And, and so, you know, the only transfers I've heard Kansas is looking at is four-year transfers, as in people who are freshmen this year who go to a college and then maybe they aren't happy with their situation, which because this year of eligibility doesn't count, that would be like getting a high school freshman. It wouldn't even be like getting a redshirt freshman. It would be like legitimately getting a true freshman just with one year of college experience. So, so yeah, that's it's where I stand on it. I think they need to get high school guys. And then remember, strength and conditioning. That is so, so important at the college level. And when you don't have guys on campus in the spring or you can't because coronavirus shuts down the country, you know, that's a big part of it. You can't get guys in the strength and training program. And for some of them, you know, they do good on their own. Dejan Terry lost 60 pounds. That's great. Dejan Terry's a star. So Dejan Terry is good enough to do that. Most guys are not. So I think that's what you just need. You need the high school talent. You need to give it time. And then you need to give it time in a strength program, not just time on the field, time to actually develop the offensive line too. I think that's really the fix for Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, you know, we, we talked about Les Miles It had the main job that David Beatty was supposed to have, which is get the scholarship situation fixed. That is job number one. That has to happen before anything else can happen. You know, and in order for that to happen, really, you have to go almost exclusively high school guys. And and if I remember correctly, Les Miles in his first two recruiting classes, I think no, only he, signed one junior college he player. Took more, he I don't took even remember who it was. But, one, but it's important to remember in that first class that he took over in like mid-November and signing day is in like mid-December. So that oh, right. was just get, you know, they had one player committed who didn't even sign with Kansas. So that was get as many players as you can because right, otherwise right. you're not going to have any players in this recruiting class. Whereas since then, he has not taken any JUCOs. Okay, yeah, I, I couldn't remember if it was he took one or if he hadn't taken any other than kind of the, the panic when he, right, because he, he literally had a month to build an entire recruiting class. Um, and so, like, I think everybody everybody understands that. Nobody held that against him. But, yeah, I mean, this last recruiting class, completely high school players, as was expected, as he committed to do. And so far, the next recruiting class, again, all high school players. I haven't even seen him, like, them kind of in the running for any kind of junior college guys, which which tells me that they're not looking to junior college at all. They, you know, they are comfortable in their position, and, I mean, as they should be. And, you know, that, that that's, like, Say what you want about anything else that Jeff Long has done. The fact that he has made sure that Les Miles knows he has that time to build it. And there's been absolutely no, you know, mumbling or anything about anything that's going on this year because they all realize just how big of a build this is. Like that is something that David Beatty never quite understood. Like, like that was the expectation. He felt a lot of pressure to win when he didn't necessarily need to, um, you know? And so like, it's, I mean, it's one of those things like they are definitely building for the long haul. I, I don't see any reason to think that any of these guys are going to be gone before they want to be gone. And they all seem to be very committed to rebuilding this, this team in, in terms of the, yeah. the coaching staff is what, is what I'm talking about here. And so like, I'm not, I'm not worried about the direction that we're at right now. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, 
I hate having to cover this team and talk so much about, you know, what I'm actually seeing on the field, but I understand what the bigger picture is here, what they're building towards and that the growing pains that we're going to actually have. So, um, yeah, it really sucks. I understand why everybody is kind of upset where we're at, especially since what's happened, you know, the last eight or nine years or actually probably even longer than that. But it's, you know, it, it's unfortunately one of those things that we have, we have had a whole bunch of guys that tried to kind of, um, you know, basically half-heartedly get it back to where it needs to be unless Miles is finally comfortable enough that he can just bite the bullet and do it. Um, and it really, really, really <laughs> That's sucks. Well, it's well put. And, hey, let me tell you this, one more thing about the coaching staff. You know, I, I think about this a lot, that coaches come through Kansas. And, I, by the way, I'm, I'm a very straight shooter on this. When Les Kenning was hired, I, was, I did not give that positive reviews because I couldn't find anyone not one person to give me a positive review of him. I couldn't find a single person who thought that was a good hire. So my writing reflected that. So I'm not someone who's just like, oh, whoever KU gets is good. No, that's never been how I've covered. That's never been my approach to journalism ever. Uh, if you want to look at, you know, the, the kind of history of Kansas and things that, that haven't worked out where you, you think you have an opinion on a guy and then it doesn't really work out, go ahead and look at what SMU has done this year. Like, go ahead and look at, at SMU. They're 7-1 and one on the season. I just pulled up their, their scores. Here's how many points they've scored. Okay, you ready? 31, 65, 50, 30, 37, 51, and 47. That was in every game except when they played Cincinnati, who's the top 10 team in the country. So, again, 31, 65, 50, 30, 37, 51, 47. Do you know who their offensive coordinator is? Their offensive no, actually, I don't. Garrett Riley, maybe perhaps better known as former quarterbacks coach, who was then demoted. He was demoted at Kansas to working with tight ends and fullbacks. So again, sometimes you just can't tell until you actually have the numbers and the talent. And that, that to me is the prime example. Yes, you could look at Doug Meacham, who now pulls the plays for TCU. And obviously TCU, things are going great there right now. However, that's just another good example of you can't just fire every coach that comes in here. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. I think Les Kenning was a terrible hire from the beginning, but they were also stuck because their first choice at offensive coordinator got a head coaching game. And, and so he left. So, you know, at a certain point, it's like right. everyone wanted to run Clint Bowen out of town, even when his defense was playing better. Uh, like then the numbers would look, it was the offense that was letting them down. And now people do the same thing to DJ Elliott, who may or may not be a good or a bad coach. I don't know. I haven't seen enough, enough to prove it yet. Same thing with Brent Dierman. What Brent Dierman did last year should buy him at least like two or three years of goodwill, knowing how good that was. Oh, and by the way, he led an offense that averaged 55 points a game at a lower level of scoring. If anyone could do that, they would do that. They can't do it, so they haven't. So that, that's just where I look at it and, and where, where I see it, because I, I think it'd be a mistake for a number of guys on this coaching staff, for, for fans to kind of sour on them and think they can't do it just because you know, the COVID season where Kansas is, you know, really diving into this rebuild doesn't look very pretty. Yeah. The other thing too, is that like, honestly, what these coaches need to be evaluated on at the very, at this very moment is probably not something that we can really see until it comes to, you know, the recruiting class, because pretty much every coach on this staff, like they, they have two jobs right now is developing the guys that are on the roster and finding new guys to come to the roster, especially if that's one of their main yeah. jobs is, is to be involved in recruiting, you know? And so like DJ Elliott, from what I understand is heavily involved in recruiting. Emmett Jones is like one of the main recruiters who's bringing in a lot of the guys that seem to be balling out right now. You know, Brent Dearman is, yes. is, is heavily involved in recruiting. Um, like 
you know, they've got these guys that are that are doing a really good job from everything that we can tell on recruiting. And it seems like we're at least seeing development of these guys. Yeah, it's not happening in, in results on the field, but there was no expectation for that this year. And just the fact that everyone else is dealing with weird COVID stuff doesn't mean that Kansas was going to take a jump forward because of COVID stuff because they're dealing with the same COVID problems that everyone else was. And so, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to at this point is that, you know, we're, we're seeing all this extra weirdness around college football. And, you know, it's almost like a we had steeled ourselves for the possibility of a step back this year yes. and it's still being a success. Right. Because like, I think everybody had said that, man, if, if Kansas went three and nine this year after what they did last year, like that would be, you know, an unmitigated success. Like it would absolutely be super successful for them to keep the same record this year that they did last year. Then COVID happened and we went to, you know, we lost our two most winnable games off the schedule, most likely. Um, depending on who you talk to, but like we lost, we lost winnable games off that schedule, went down to 10 games. And then, you know, I mean, (laughs) it got, it got a lot worse. Like there was no expectations at that point then to get anywhere near what we did last year. And we're dealing with, I think we got hit a lot harder. You know, I actually talked about this prior to the season starting that I think Kansas is one of the teams that got hit the hardest because of COVID because of how many guys they were trying to break in because of Brent Dearman trying to institute a brand new system in the spring, you know, and because offensive line was the biggest question. Well, offensive line and quarterback was the two biggest questions. And those are the two positions that you need the most time in the spring and in summer to really kind of iron out any issues and really evaluate those guys and figure out who needs to be there. So, um, yep. Well, okay. I, I I think we are starting to, I think kind of run in circles in terms of the analysis that we're given here. So I don't want to belabor the point. So I want to go ahead and open it up to you for any final thoughts, anything, that you want, you know, people to, to keep in mind, especially as we go into the final three games um, and anything that they can potentially look forward to in these final three games yeah, well, for the, I, for I the Jayhawks. You know, if, if you want to have a criticism of the coaching staff and a, a valid one, um, I, I think the most valid criticism is probably that they didn't get any offensive linemen in 2019, any scholarship offensive linemen that would be second-year guys now. And if they had taken Juco guys, they'd be older. Um, I think that's valid. Les Miles told me when I asked him about it that there weren't any that were good enough. I think there were some that were that maybe they just weren't able to bring in because, you know, again, they took over with a month to go until signing day. And, you know, it's going to be hard to out recruit schools for offensive linemen at that point. Um, so, again, I, I think that could be a valid criticism, but it, it's so hard right now to, to really evaluate much of anything. What, what I would just add on the, the schedule, what to look for for the rest of the year. Kansas's next game is Texas. I, I don't love their odds in that game. TCU and Texas Tech are not the best opponents they will have faced this year. Now, TCU gave them a lot of trouble last year. Uh, TCU generally has the reputation for being excellent defensively, and at times that's resulted in some really ugly games for Kansas. I can think of, I think, two and maybe like the last three or four years that were among the worst I've ever seen a Kansas team play. Um, I, I have not been impressed by Texas Tech. I have not been impressed by TCU. If Kansas can put everything together, I think they can be competitive at least in one of those two games. I'm not saying they're going to win one or I would even pick them to win one. But, you know, I, I think there are things to watch for. You're just at this point, you're just watching for individuals. You want to see Kenny Logan get another interception. He's had a couple. You want to see Karan Prunty continue to just be an absolute monster at cornerback. I, I think he's been terrific. You want to see the young guys who do get in the game play a little bit better, especially, you know, Armaje Adams Reed on the O line. He impressed me. Garrett Jones on the offensive line, both true freshmen. He impressed me a little bit. 
uh, in limited action. So you just want to see those young guys. You want to see your Dejon Terry's, your Marcus Harris's uh, continue to play well. And then know, you know, hey, if you reload and, and add four or five guys like that in every recruiting class, well, hey, all of a sudden it only takes two or three of those to have a pretty complete roster and, and you know, to, to start to build things back up. So I, I've been consistent with this. I'll end on this. I have said all along from the time Les Miles took over, 2020 was going to be his worst year. 2021 would not have a lot of wins. 2022, the goal is to win four-plus games. 2023, the goal is to be bowl eligible. I have not seen one thing that has told me that was that can't be the case, that won't be the case, that shouldn't be how they build. I truly believe that's what it is. This is the bad year. 2021 will be some development, maybe a couple wins, maybe a few if they're lucky. And then 2020, 2021 or 2022, you want to win four plus games. 2023, it's time to go and be bowl eligible. I, I think that's what they're building to, and I think that's what they're on track for. Yeah, I mean, and and given where Kansas was, like that is a completely reasonable, you know, reasonable growth path. Like everybody wants to be the team that goes from you know one and eleven to. Uh, nine and three the next year because they get just a coach that steps into a perfect situation. The problem is every single one of those situations is usually a coach who is extremely underachieving with his roster, gets fired, and then someone comes in and is able to put all the pieces yeah. together on a fairly talented roster that just couldn't do it. And Kansas is not that. The roster is completely decimated because of a decade of mismanagement by you know coaches that really couldn't get their act together. And, you know, no matter how good the coach is, there was nobody in the nation that was going to be able to step into this roster and pull it together and be able to get, you know, the the bowl eligible in season two or three that a lot of Kansas fans seem to expect was necessary in order to call it a success. So, um, you know, I, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, I am, I, you know, I am definitely ready to kind of see what we can get out of these last few games. I do agree with you that while the, uh, the, the odds are, are definitely not in their favor against Texas. I that's the game that I have been calling since the end of the year. And until you know they're down by four touchdowns at some point in the second half, I'm First still going to hold out hope that they're going to pull it off. So, um, well, no, no, no. But I, like what I'm saying is, if we get to if we get to like late in the third quarter and they're uh, still down by four touchdowns, that's when I'll finally uh, give it up that they're not going to win against Texas this year. So. Um, but no, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's one of those things I've seen so much weirder stuff. I still really don't know what to think about this Texas team. And I'll get into this more next week with the, uh, with the Texas preview that I'll be doing. But, um, but no, I, I agree with you. Like if you're looking for things the rest of the year, like the main things that you want to see is I want to see Jalen Daniels throw a touchdown pass. I want to see Karan Prunty get another interception. Um, preferably like I would, I would hope to see he get a pick six. I would love to see that for him. And, and Kenny Logan, I would like to see him make another huge play, even if it's not a run all the way back for a touchdown. But I think he has the chance to be a really special returner um, in the Big 12 this year, you know, the, the rest of this year and for the next, you know, two or three years as well. So uh, I'm really excited to kind of see what these guys can do and just have them kind of build on those successful seasons. Like you said, we just need – we basically need five or six guys in each in each class to have, you know, be able to kind of put together – a, a special season to really kind of build something. And then it's all going to come together you know, in the next few years. And hopefully we'll get to the point where then we have consistently have good enough rosters that they can be pushing for bowl eligibility. And that's really, that's really all that Kansas fans want at this point is them to be pushing for bowl eligibility. Let's get to that step where they're, you know, fighting for a bowl, you know, every, every year or two, um, you know, at, at least kind of being in that range of, of having the opportunity to get to one. 
Um, and then we can kind of try to build from there. But all right, Scott, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad that we could uh, debunk some of these, you know, things that were flying around Twitter here. Because let, let me tell you, I would hate to see the sentiment turn against these guys that are struggling so much with the situations that they came into that really seem to be putting the foundation down that we need to build the program. Um, you know, I've interacted with Brent German on Twitter. I absolutely love the energy that he brings to the program. And I would hate for, you know, some super, you know, outspoken fans on Twitter to ruin any of that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen just because, you know, of what I've, what I've had with him. But, you know, the more we can fight against any kind of negativity starting to creep up, the, the happier I think everyone will be for that. So, all right, Scott, uh, where can the people find your work online? Uh, PHOG, of course, if you're a Kansas fan, you know that. Um, if you're a Texas fan, hoping of course. to get a preview on the next game, uh, I'm sorry you had to listen to me. Uh, talk about the roster for an hour, but um, uh, no, uh, fog.net, kansas.247sports.com, uh, Jason Scott on Twitter, and yeah, tweet, tweet me your angry thoughts about this. I'd love to hear them. Yeah, yeah, so, um, oh, oh, and I'll just give you the heads up. Uh, you actually won't hear it before, but uh, the, the preview episode that we have for the Kansas basketball season that's coming up, um, Jesse uh, and, uh, and and Steve Fetcher, our basketball editor, decided to throw a little bit of shade um, that if, if they get anything wrong in this basketball season, they relied heavily on your basketball preview. So if, if you guys are looking ahead to basketball season, I would definitely tune in to Fog.net as well because they have all kinds of great basketball coverage over there. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I've, had, I've struggled to get my own thoughts together on the basketball team because there's just not a whole lot out there with what's going on. But you guys seem to, to be able to hit those pretty hard as well. So I, I definitely appreciate that. So, all right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Scott, thank you for joining me. If you guys uh, haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Subscribe to the podcast there so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, we'd absolutely appreciate that. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter. Right now, the best way to do that is my personal Twitter at andymitz12. Um, also, because we're on the Anchor Network, you can actually leave me a voicemail directly so I can get your voice onto the podcast, whether that's a question or you just want to go off about something that's happened recently or something that I said recently. Um, you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and you can leave the voicemail right there in your web browser. So, um, But that's going to do it for us tonight. Scott, once again, thank you for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next Sports Social Podcast Network.